Hey folks, welcome to the Creative Language Learning Podcast with Kirsten Cable and Lindsay Dow. Hello everybody, welcome to the Creative Language Learning Podcast. How are you all doing today? Lindsay Dow, how are you down in Milton Keynes? Very good, thank you, very good. How are you up in sunny Lancaster? Oh, it is, uh, hang on, let me have a look out the window. Uh, it's wonderful here in cloudy Lancaster. <laughs> it's a little bit cloudy today, but that's absolutely fine. We're uh, recording episode 26, 26 of the Creative Language Learning Podcast. And this episode is brought to you with support from Other Cats to Whip, um, which is not a book about pet care, but instead it's a book of sayings and idioms for French learners. Uh, Lindsay, are you a French learner? We, we, one more, one more. See, oh, yesterday, yeah, um, I was I was at my choir, right, and I met this guy. My choir is a choir full of um, kind of older older ladies and gentlemen. I think it's fair to say they're sort of most of them are sort of 60, 70, 80 years old, and I met this guy, and he was talking to me about. I don't know, just random stuff and where have you been? And then he said, oh, I went to university in Manchester. And I'm like, oh, me too, me too. Um, and he told me that in 1956, he was a student of French and Italian. And he got a bursary and got to go to France and spend some time teaching in France um, and then became a head teacher. And I was just thinking about this guy. Um, and when he went to France, you know what he could have used? He could have used Other Cats to Whip, this wonderful book of idioms and expressions, and he'd have fit in just like a glove. You don't fit in like a glove, do you? <laughs> you do now, because we've just created another English Idi idiom English. and expression. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's... Um, it's always good to get the idioms and the kind of standing expressions right. And I think in French in particular, the French have got really great expressions. So, for example, there is the other oh, cats to whip. J'ai des autres, des autres cats à, des autres cats, des autres chats à fouetter. Um, which kind of means I've got bigger fish to fry. So where the Brits fry fish, the French whip cats. And that's all you need to know about these people. <laughs> So this book is a little bit special. It's more like a, um, a beautiful coffee table book that you can buy and you can get it on your Kindle. So especially, I think, if you've got the Kindle app on the iPad, it's going to be really, you get the most out of it because it's all about the illustrations. And all these pictures are really cute. It's really funny. It's, as I was looking through it, it made me giggle quite a few times, all these cute pictures. Um, the cats have got like little French flags, uh, little French flag jumpers on <laughs> and so oh. it is it's super super cute so guys if you want to maybe get a nice christmas present for your polyglot bff or whatever the book's available in paperback or as an ebook so you can get whichever way you'd like on your kindle your ipad all the other e-readers and you're not going to get a better deal than 10 percent off with the code fluent f-l-u-e-n-t at checkout so that's easy to remember and the site you need to go to is othercatstowhip.com so that's our sponsor for this episode. And yeah, so like I said, I was, I was kind of fascinated by this, this guy. Can you imagine what it must have been like to learn a foreign language at university in the 50s? Do you think, it was, what, do you think people then would be like, what are you going to do with that later in your life? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I imagine it would have been a very different experience. Um, 
Yeah, I, I no, I, I can't. I can't even begin to. I mean, I, I have a. I would say maybe one or two books, sort of language books that are that old, that are just completely different to anything that I have now. And I wouldn't say that's in a good way. Like I think it's a lot mm. harder to focus and to concentrate on them. So hats off to to anyone who. I would say to anyone who learnt language before the internet is kind of <laughs> really. <laughs> <laughs> Hats off to this. Kirsten! Yay! Hey. <laughs> <laughs> but did you not learn a language before the internet? Um, I started in primary school, but I mean, I'm, I remember, I remember my very first website. My very first website was um, sclub.com, as in S Club Seven. Like <laughs> when we got the internet at home, and I remember it's bizarre now. Now my my parents were the ones to say, "Now this is the internet, <laughs> and you put the thing in here, you know." And now they'll say to me, "Oh, how do you do that? What is this? How can you teach me how to?" You know, yeah. I guess I'm that first generation to kind of well, I don't know, maybe not, but for the first in terms of the internet, the first generation to then have the parents say to you, "This is how it works," and you be the one to then say to them, actually this is how it works and this yeah. is what you can do and this yeah. is how amazing it really is. But really, yeah, it's quite funny to think they were the ones to... Because my family have got a business, we, we, we did have a computer very early and I remember the first computer that we had um, didn't have the internet on it at all. This was in maybe 93 or something. Mm. So you didn't have this sort of, you know, like I remember my, my best friend and I, when we were sort of 14 or even younger, um, when we first kind of started chatting, it was this is before texting and before you know, like uh, email or anything like that. And my friend and I, we discovered this amazing new way of communicating with each other, which was um, a sort of, you know, mid-90s, your parents have a business. What's the coolest way of communicating? Uh, fax machines. <laughs> so we used, yeah. We, we, yeah, we used to send each other like pages and pages of just fax, like either letters, you'd handwrite a letter and then you'd fax it over. And this is from someone who lives two miles away, so it's not really... <laughs> like uh, reaching out to the world and you can send each other little mm. drawings and things like that. It was, it was really, really good fun. And um, when the internet came in, um, yeah, that was, I, I think I learned a lot of English from the internet, but not really before I was perhaps 16 or 17. So my first languages were all internet yeah. free and I really liked it because it was so exciting when there was a, a real English person you know, when you got the language yeah. assistant or somebody like that coming to your school and talking to you. And yeah. the, you know, this is a, it was, yeah, it wasn't maybe so much about bringing the world into your classroom as it, as it can be now, which, which kind of brings us on to the, the language show, really, which is what we're actually here to, mm -hmm. or one of the things to talk about. So two weeks ago, I um, completely lost my voice, so I thought, hey, why not go down to London, hang out with Lindsay, um, talk to her for a, in whispers for a day, um, and interview <sighs> some people at the language show. <laughs> um, the language show live, um, and Lindsay, do you want to tell us where and what it is, this event? Yeah, um, I've known about this event for about five years now, um, but I'm not sure how long it's been going before before that. Um, but yeah, basically, it's an event in London at the, uh, the Kensington Olympia Centre, um, in sort of near Ells Court in West London. Mm, beautiful, and beautiful just, building. It's, it's a really nice venue. Yeah, it's a nice venue. There's lots of um, lots of stands 
of, of, of companies that sell language products. There's always lots of new things there, kind of really new and exciting language kind of startups and, and ventures there. There's also um, like a graduate section where there's lots of employees, um, employees, employers, um, and the TEFL section, I believe. And then as well as that, you've got um, kind of really quite casual seminars that you can just pop in and, and uh, you know, sort of just stand at the back of, of the of the little arena, if you like, and, and listen in. Or there's a bit more formal ones. You've got language classes. You've got taster classes that are free to just turn up and, and spend, I think it's half an hour to an hour perhaps in just a taste of the class. And then you've got longer um, language, more more intense classes that I think you have to pay for in advance. I think they're about £20. So it's not too much. I think you get three hours. Mm. So there's just there's so much going on. And it's just the thing I like about this is that, I mean, I may have said this before on the podcast, but Ashley, my partner, he's a runner. He loves running. And so many a weekend where we'll go off to some random town and I'll have to stand around in the cold and be like, yeah, well done and watch him start and then just <laughs> hang around and then wait until he gets to the finish line. And, you know, he's quite fast, so it doesn't take long, but still, you know, you, you just go and he's got these events and these things that he can go to as a, as a runner. And then I imagine it's the same with a, a lot of sports where, you know, you have something you can do, but with, and a lot of activities as well, but with languages, I find there's nothing quite like that. There isn't, that you know people don't just plan a language a thon or something for, for people who love languages to just go oh, to like a, like a in, marathon yeah I don't know <laughs> just just some kind of event there's just not as many things no. that you can go and embrace and really enjoy and so that's what I love about it is the fact that it just exists do you think really? it's because language learning isn't as competitive um because it's you know like running is running is kind of at the same time or well, any sports is so much about like it's quite introverted right because you have to make yourself do it yeah. and at the end of the day you do it by yourself and yeah maybe that's it because you you're alone doing this all the time and the more i talk about it the more i realize you you're right and how little sense it makes because it is you know language learning is the same you spend so much time by yourself going yeah verb table verb table da, 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 da. um you know, like using your using your little bit of language and you have to we have to make ourselves reach out. But yeah, we never really get together in the same sense that a marathon gets together where you, you talk about it. And I I I completely agree. I have convinced myself mm. as I was talking about it. But yeah. you know, so the, but the, the excuse for say marathon runners to get together is kind of to go, well, let's see who's fastest here. You know, let's yeah, you know, or let's yeah. let's all run up a hill. Here's a challenge, and we do it online as language learners. We we know there's the italki yeah. challenge, there's the add one challenge, there's various different ways of getting together, but there isn't really language party or but there's no spelling bee. There's no hmm. yeah, some kind of social regular thing in different. Pla I mean, you, of course, there's in terms of like physical, you know, real life meetups. You've got. Language Show Live, you've got Polyglot Gathering, Polyglot Conference each year. But that's three events. Yeah, and that's also so serious. You know, those are all big commitments to kind of go to and you, yeah. you're there for a few days and you're kind of sitting in lectures and things like that. It's not, it could, you know, there's, there's, no, there's nothing casual as, as such. Mind you, here in Lancaster, we've got this thing called the Language Cafe, which happens once a month. And you can just turn up. It's at the local pub. Um, and you can just turn up 
and there's a table with like a little flag on and if you're lucky somebody will be there speaking your language and it tends to be when I go um, there's like two tables of Spanish speakers a table full of French speakers and they're really good you know they're really they're having yeah. a full-on conversation in French just British people you would never think um, and then there's maybe like two Germans and a German learner um, mm. and then after that it really drops off no that's cool though that's what I was going to kind of go on to say is that I think now there are there are things kind of emerging like meetup.com you know I go to a Spanish meetup um, relatively regularly but it's only it's once a month um, so then if you miss a month like I think I've missed this month because I've been so crazy busy then that's like then two months um, but I don't know it's just it's just something that I always think about when I'm stood there in the cold on a Sunday morning waiting for, <laughs> for for a run to finish kind of thinking oh I don't have anything like this it's not it's not the same <laughs> I don't know yeah well like it's 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 just not as common people don't travel that far to practice no. their Spanish and they really should I think that'd be really cool <laughs> what a yes what a, what an interesting thought and it brings me to yes the I mean, because the language show or something like the Polyglot Gathering, those are big organizational, you know, mm. I know that the organizers of the Polyglot Gathering, you did, and Ch is it Chuck? It's Chuck, Chuck right? Chuck, yeah. Yeah. Hi, Chuck. Um, and Martin, I think, as well. And Martin, they, you know, they work on this almost all year round. This yeah. is a, It's like a really big thing to organize. Um, and I know Ollie Richards, who's been putting all these poly, whatever they're called, Polyglot um, work, yeah. seminars workshops workshops yeah it's been putting them together i know that's a big organizational effort and they're still yeah. all about someone standing at the front and kind of demoing what they know and what they can do whereas yeah. that's i think the great thing about a run is you can just you know you just turn up and you run you don't have to feel yeah. bad it's all about finishing so you kind of know where it starts you know where it ends um and you just kind of turn up and do your best um and perhaps with languages we still feel a little bit more self-conscious mm, mm. i think we found a niche kirsten i think we should start something lang lang langathon langathon <laughs> how long can you speak french <laughs> come and start a new language you have to come physically to the place and you have 24 hours and food is provided and drink is provided and there's toilets <laughs> and you sit and you how much can you learn go 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 that'd oh be fun God. right that sounds really fun actually i'd love that or you could have like tutor and learner speed dating oh right so that in the morning you just you just have somebody like come and turn up for half an hour and you go right we are learning the basics of this language and then you've got yeah. like a French tutor and a German tutor and an English tutor and a Korean tutor and whatever you yeah. know whatever we can get hold of and then halfway through, we can swap as well. Um, mm -hmm. And then everybody moves on to the next person. You get to know, you get to meet new people. You, you know, you sort of learn a little or learn a lot. And at the end, maybe everybody can have a basic conversation. Okay, I'm actually really obsessed with this idea. <laughs> it's, yeah, it, it, I mean, it feels a bit utopian, but then you do see what, what is possible <laughs> at the language show, which is, you know, it's an event, of course, and it's, it's got this big sort of trade show aspect. And I really, I actually really enjoy that. I love going around the shop floor. I know that there was, um, I was reading some reviews where people were sort of saying, oh, yes, you know, there's all these, you know, little companies praising the new revolution of language learning and all oh, boring. I don't want to know about that. But for me personally, I think, 
you know, this is why this is the creative language learning podcast. I love the creativity in entrepreneurship, in people starting something new, in people coming up with new ideas. And we, what did we see? We saw Linguisticator with his language maps. Oh, oh my God. Aren't so beautiful. So beautiful. We saw Flashsticks, our mates at flashsticks.com mm -hmm. slash Kirsten people. Um, and we saw Hello Talk who basically, yes. you know, reinvented WhatsApp for language learning. And, you know, all these little sort of primary school inventions. And there's really, you know, there's people out there thinking, how can we make language learning more interesting? What can we add? What can we do with this? How can we make this a little bit cooler? And how, how can we, you know, how can we go about this from a new way? So I love walking about this shop floor. I think it's really interesting every single year. I think it's fascinating. Mm. Definitely. And I've never been to any of the seminars. <laughs> <laughs> we went to one. We went to one accidentally because you wanted to sit down, right? And then we, <laughs> next thing we know, we're, oh, <laughs> we're in a talk now. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. Yeah, we saw, that was really interesting. Yeah, translation software for professional translators. Mm -hmm. Fascinating, right? And you're right, all the employers area. I, I find that I wish there was more going on there but uh -huh. it because uh -huh. there is still a lot of focus on teacher recruitment and this this brings me to something that perhaps is, is it's not a criticism of of um the event or but it's more a criticism of the world that people still think if you're learning a foreign language guy from bristol guess what his job was guy you know like my guy who learned french and italian in the 50s uh-huh What what could, he, what was, could, he was a head teacher, you said, right? Yeah, yeah. It, sorry, yeah. <laughs> ruined it. But you know, he, <laughs> he he was a teacher. He was a teacher, and everybody always thinks if you're learning a foreign language, you can be a translator or a teacher. I do a little mm. bit of career mentoring for Langris, uh, Lang Lancaster University, language university. Hey, that'd be a thing, Lan Lancaster University. And I tend to get mentees, and you know, like when you first get matched with these mentees, um, they they have to write down sort of here are my career questions and here's what I'm thinking about. And um, I often get modern languages students because I'm one of the few mentors who has got a language background. And mm. it is really, really common that they will say something like. Oh, I've been, you know, I've been, I've been doing a bit of translating, and that's that was very, very interesting. Um, but I'm also kind of looking at teaching, and I just don't know. And those are the two careers that are kind of open to me. Um, and these are the default careers that you go to every single time with foreign languages: teaching, translating, teaching, translating. And it overlooks all the other things that you can do with mm. foreign languages that are just mm. so much richer and you know like that translation is a skill that you can that can be part of your your job skills which is why i get so excited it's not just um uniform reasons because i like you know looking at the i always find army presence is quite imposing but to be honest the reason i like seeing that the military actually takes a stand at the language show is because i feel like they've got something more. They sort of see something more in a foreign language learner because you can get a job yeah. pretty much as a spy. You can work at MI6 or MI5 if you have foreign language skills. And that kind of hints at all the different things that foreign language learners can do and all of our, almost our dual, our skill for taking on dual identities or several identities. So I, I absolutely love that. Have you ever thought of a, you know, like all the careers that people can do with foreign languages? 
Um, yeah, I guess. I mean, um, for me, I've never been someone who's known exactly what I wanted to do. Um, High five, me neither. Uh, <laughs> um, so, like, language is always a thing of, you know, I, I, when, when I had to pick things like GCSE and A-level and what do you want to study at university level, it was always like, well, I don't know. And if I pick something something else potentially it's quite narrowing whereas if I stick to languages and and you know especially multiple languages I think is is really the key now then actually it keeps my options a lot a lot wider open um but I remember one teacher um when I worked at a school one teacher said she was she was a very um I don't think that she really liked teaching. She had a very, very stressful job at the time. Um, the language department was not cool. It was like, yeah. Um, but I remember her saying, if you go to study languages, which you should because it's good, do it with another subject. So, you know, do like business and a language or, you know, geography with a language. So do it as kind of a joint honours thing. Mm-hmm. And, and I was like, hmm, okay. Interesting, because I mean, she said, you know, she she would she would have loved to do law and languages, but she chose just languages, and now she felt completely stuck in in teaching, um, which is a shame because she was a very very talented woman, very very smart, um, and so I think there is that aspect as well that if you have an inkling towards something that isn't lang- that isn't necessarily language based, perhaps you know if you're deciding what to study further on you know, think, okay, so I need to do something that I might want to work in and a language. And I think that's, you know, a really good route nowadays. I think that's really good advice, definitely, for for universities. Mind you, when I was, you know, if I think about when I was finishing school and um, I took, in, in the German education system, you're not allowed to just take languages at the you know in yeah. the same way that you can in the UK um so i took english and french and um that meant i had to combine this with either a science or a you know like a, a social science so i took english french and politics um mm. bec- because i had to but it just made me more sure that languages is what i want to do but at the same time, I didn't go to university to study what is at the time was called Anglistic, and it's still called Anglistic, so I'm not that old. Really. Uh, uh. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, it would have been a, it would have been a, um, what's called a, I think a magister at the time. So it would have been a five, four or five years studies of everything to do with the English speaking world and England and America and this and that and that and that. And it, to me, it just, it just seemed terribly vague, which I think is why people keep defaulting to the same types of careers because we feel lost in the vagueness. Um, and instead I trained as a secretary, um, but a, a, in a, in a special way, a foreign language secretary, which means I learned French, Spanish and English at a really intense level, did a lot of translating, did a lot of, you know, like, not just how do you answer the phone for your boss, but literally, like, how do you summarize this bit in the newspaper? How do you do business correspondence? It was more than, it was kind of more like a business admin um, Mm. qualification. And that's probably the most targeted language learning I have ever done, because it really Mm. was for a specific purpose. It was, you know, if you want to take this job, here's what you got to know. And it, it focused, it's... 
it's I benefit from living really near or having grown up really near Luxembourg, which is in very near big centers of EU activity. And Luxembourg is a very multilingual country. So you kind of grow up always knowing that knowing a foreign language is going to benefit you, which is something that in England and probably in mm -hmm. America, you don't. You don't really yeah. see how it's going to all slot in. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, yeah, I think, and, mm, So this, growing this up is, in England, you must, be, you must be like sort of the, the little parrot or the little, you know, strange person if you're the, if you're the language girl. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, these are just thoughts. We have no answers to any of these <sighs> questions. Um, one thing I really wanted to point out about the language show as well is that I, I've only been twice. I went last year and I went this year. And I've noticed that from last year to this year, it was a, it was a, there was a change in languages offered. And B, there was much less of a focus on lots of things to help teach little kids languages. Um, so this year there was ever so slightly more adult education. And you mentioned something. Um, and you said to me on the day, you said, oh, this must be because of primary languages. So what, you know, mm. like, can, do you want care to explain what that means? Yeah, so from, uh, where are we now, 2015. So from September last year, 2014, it became compulsory to teach a foreign language in primary schools, which seems crazy that it wasn't compulsory before. I mean, for me, I learned French from primary school level, but that was an extracurricular club that um, had to be paid for in addition to, you know, just normal going to school, which wasn't paid for, it was just a, a normal state school. But that was, you know, then if you if you instantly make something paid for, it's not necessarily something everyone's going to get the chance to do. Um, and that's how it was for me in primary school. And then when we went up to secondary school, the, the problem was then that you had people like me who had been um, paying for, for lessons in, in French to go to French club, You had people who um, had absolutely zero knowledge of any foreign language and barely knew even that, you know, other languages were a thing, perhaps, in some cases. And so then you go to year seven, and for someone like me, I was then having to repeat everything that I'd done. So those first, I would say, 18 months of secondary school, everything that I learned in French, complete waste of time mm -hmm. because I already knew it. And so it, it created this really weird thing that you had then 11 year olds going up to secondary school year seven and they were then being taught like a primary school child bonjour le chat le chien bleu rouge mm -hmm. and at 11 years old that's not how you want to be spoken to mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but that was inevitable because that's the way the teachers knew how to teach it's not their fault it's not their fault at all but that's the way they've been almost taught to teach if you like because oh these children know nothing so we need to start them from scratch whereas I think the massively beneficial thing of teaching language in primary school is that that stuff is taken care of so by the time they get to year seven by the time they move on to secondary school they have something they know something of a foreign language and you know the really interesting thing about this change in the national curriculum when it came in is that actually it's not a case of okay in primary schools you have to learn French In primary schools, you have to learn the language of the um, feeder secondary school that these children will go to. I mean, there's a primary school near me where children go to 12, potentially 12 different secondary schools. They can be split up completely 
and be, you know, really, really diversely spread. So how can you control that? Well, the law of this, the national curriculum, is that actually you learn a language in primary school and that language can be any language, alive or dead. And I just think this is so fantastic. Mm -hmm. Just the idea of, okay, so we have no one in the school that speaks French. We have no one that speaks Spanish. What do we do? Okay, well, Mary over there learned Latin, so she's going to teach Latin. Think how cool it would be to bring in um, an exchange teacher, a foreign teacher from a different country so cool. at that time. You know, so to, cool. And then you're five, yeah. six, or no, how old are you in primary school? Even younger, three, four, five years old, yeah. and you're meeting your first French person or you're meeting your first Italian yeah. person. And well, that can of, instill yeah. a passion for life in languages. I agree, Absolutely. this is amazing. Absolutely. And a lot of these teachers, um, I imagine in many situations, are of the nationality, are native speakers, um, and I just think it's fantastic. I just love how open the, the, the curriculum has been with this in terms of saying any language. Because I believe very, very strongly that when you're teaching young children languages, the key thing isn't to say, oh, my God, we've had, a, we've taught, we've had six months of study and all they know how to say is, tengo los ojos marrones, you know, I have brown eyes. It's like, oh, no, this is a failure. They, don't, they just don't get it. No, not at all. That is not the purpose at that age. The main purpose is to expose them to other languages. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, just absolutely. The, just the idea to say, look, People speak other things in different places around the world. And, to, you know, you then bring in the geography side of things. You just explain, you know, it's, it's culture and things are different in, for different people in different places. And that is the main thing that was missing before languages were introduced in primary schools. And, of course, they learn a language and that's, that's cool too. <laughs> and also to show, you know, then you can kind of take the next step. And this is, you know, we're talking about primary schools now and, and I'm thinking, hmm, you can do this. There's ways of doing this with teenagers. And I remember um, in the podcast, uh, I have previously interviewed Becky Morales, who's bringing up her children bilingually mm. in the USA. And she was saying, oh, they brought a Mexican lady into a school where there was teenagers. And they were asking questions like, do you have electricity in Mexico? You know, a country that borders their country. Um, wow. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's, it's, it's also about you start early you start awareness of the world early um, exactly. so, that, so that your children can grow up into being what, what we often say, global citizens. Um, and then, yeah. you know, it's same as with the internet. They, they end up educating the parents a little bit. And then think how cool it would be to bring in perhaps, you know, when, when they're 12, 13 years old, to bring in people who say, hey, I studied foreign languages and here's what job I do. And this is, you know, like I see this now at the university level. Yeah. Like, again, Lancaster Uni does a great thing there where they bring in um, previous graduates and they talk about their jobs. And you know what? There's hardly ever any teachers or translators. There's people who, you know, do marketing jobs. There's people who go into government. There's people who have really creative jobs, event management, you know, for international exhibitions and things like that. I previously went, talked about international student recruitment um, and what kind of industry that is. And those are not the jobs where on paper you go, oh, yes, I studied Italian, therefore I'm going to become an event manager in Italy. Those are the thinking sideways jobs. And you need people who put that example out there because they're not necessarily visible, but they are there. They're mm. everywhere. Mm. Mm. Absolutely. Yeah, I think you're right. Like to, to then have people like that go into primary schools is, you know, and even even into secondary schools is uh is a brilliant 
step forward into say into the explaining the why yeah which is so often the oh i don't need to learn french everyone speaks english as, as we're talking this if week, i had pounds for every every child that has said that to me when i've worked in schools oh i'd be i'd be rich mm. be rich as we're talking this week i think it's this week the new james bond film is being released um, uh -huh. which um, that also made me think the baddies are always the foreigners aren't they in those films <laughs> but... <laughs> yes but then in a Hollywood film the Brits are always the evil ones oh yeah oh look I'm German I'm German we're, we're always the baddies oh okay <laughs> or, or Russians <laughs> they're, they're, you know that's a lot of uh, uh, yes but I'm, I'm thinking of um, Christoph Waltz and the how impressed I was with um, Quentin Tarantino's film Inglorious Bastards because it has mm -hmm. Well, Christoph Waltz, Waltz and who is um, Austrian, has got Daniel Brühl, who is German, but in the film he speaks Spanish, he speaks French. Love him, love him. Isn't he? Oh, yeah, yeah. He's, he's oh. so impressive. And certainly, um, you know, so it's got these actors, but I, I always admire Matt Damon because Matt Damon, I've seen on, I think in two or three films now, where he's, he's given it a good go speaking a foreign language. Hmm. Yeah, in, in Born Identity which has Franco Potentin, yeah. of course, a German speaker, etc. And I've heard that there's more, um, you know, Hollywood funding is often the reason that they're kind of bringing in more international actors. And the new series of Homeland, again, has got, well, Claire Dane saying like four words in German, but it actually has subtitled German. Um, and we're thinking of the Danish crime dramas, we're thinking of the return, the French crime tra dramas. It's coming. Subtitles aren't quite so alien anymore foreign languages yes. aren't quite so alien anymore and i can't tell you how excited i am about this <laughs> i actually on this subject watched a really really good film this weekend i think called monsters i think it's about five years old it's this british director i think his name's gareth edwards and this was his first feature film and there was we watched the behind the scenes after and it was amazing there's four crew and two actors and that's it It's a proper kind of guerrilla style micro-budget film. And um, they went across to Central America, mostly to Mexico, um, Belize, Guatemala. And I think they filmed some scenes as well in Texas towards the end of the film. And they, they, they kind of, so they've got the two actors who were American, but then everyone else in the film who was fantastic, like they're very, it was very real, you know, but they were just normal Mexicans kind of, who they said, oh, do you want to be in our film? Mm -hmm. Okay, so this is the scenario and just, you know, act it out. So, of course, because it was so real, some of them could speak English, some of them could speak no English, and some of them could speak a little bit of English, kind of this Spanglish mix going on. And it was absolutely, for me, like that kind of genre of film, normally I'm just like, ugh, I don't care. But I was so into it because I was like, oh, and this guy, is it, like he's speaking perfect English. And this guy, you know, they haven't subtitled this guy speaking the Spanglish, they're kind of, you know, having this really natural communication between one of the actors and, and this kind of, uh, this native Mexican who's speaking a little bit of English, but there was no subtitling involved. And even, you know, it was very select subtitling and that mm. I loved about it, you know. I think I, that's I really, that really, really interesting. And to, because mm. it also shows that, you know, like it, it brings home a message perhaps very subconsciously of when there is a foreign language being spoken and you don't understand all of it or when a person has an accent that's okay yeah 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 
Yeah. That's not something, not Definitely. everything in the world has to be translated, which sort of is yeah. not everything in the world revolves around you, English speaker. It, you know, uh, other people yeah. speak other languages and that is yeah. okay. And we're excited about it. And this is cool. So I really like that. That's really, really cool. And I mean, children's programming often does this quite naturally because maybe it's before, before kids are able to read at subtitle speak speed mm. um they they kind of bring that in don't they they just uh, i'm thinking of the bbc the lingo show for example there's yeah. several kids yeah. programming where they will just you know they'll say it in chinese they'll say it in french and the kids repeat it and everybody's happy with it and yeah, i love this as well this yeah. is this is kind of like the primary languages just the idea of exposing it mm. at a young age to just say look this exists and it's different to what you speak but it's what some people speak yeah. and so Lindsay, you know be what? aware do you know what yeah. one might do if they were, you know, working, you know, if they had little children and if you wanted to teach your children a little bit of French? Um, something that you might make really good use of is this book that I want to talk to you about, which is about, uh -huh. <laughs> it's about French idioms and it's the book called Other Cats to Whip, our sponsor this week. Yeah. Um, and I was just thinking how suitable this is for working with small children because it's basically... Um, more or less you could use this as a picture book and you're yeah. teaching you're teaching your young children and yourself in that in that sense to work with flashcards you know you've got kind of flashcard technology um but in a really cute way and this sort of creative image that it's showing there there's a lot to talk about and then you can still say this is the cat le chat and you know he's whipping the cat's fouetté it start with whipping really useful vocabulary but you know it's it's like you say it's it's not about how how useful is everything they can say it's about opening the world um and i think how fun this would be how fun this book would be um if you're working with children because it's really funny and it's sort of you know you've you've got that oh french is difficult um you've got a, a way of lightening this up and bringing in pictures so other cats to whip available from com. Um, would be actually really fantastic for parents wanting to work with young children. And I hadn't considered that before. It just occurred to me. And yeah, I think nice I might get one for my sister-in-law and for my friend for Christmas. I don't think they listen to the mm -hmm. podcast. Not. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> no. Well, my sister-in-law is a Polish and German speaker, so she, she tends to go a little bit shy when my husband is around, who is an English and sort of kind of not that much German speaker and watching them speak to each other is always really fascinating so I don't think she'll listen to the podcast um so I'm pretty sure I can buy her one of those and you know what I'm going to get I'm going to get 10% off and all I need to do is use the code fluent at checkout and I can order myself one of these wonderful books from othercatstowhip.com hooray hooray <laughs> Oh my god. Right. One thing that we one as we were walking around the language show, of course, you um technical whiz that you are, you had this um portable microphone. I was doing my best to try and record um what what is going on at the show. And um okay. It was the first time I recorded, so I will apologize to everyone listening to the podcast because I captured one quality interview. Most of the other ones were me either completely losing my voice or going, how does this work? Where do I press? Where do I press? And that's all I recorded. <laughs> <laughs> but one interview that we did record was with a, a fascinating, I found this so fascinating, um, professor, and he wasn't at all professory. 
he was very down to earth, very um, <laughs> very lovely gentleman, uh, and he record he recorded he recorded the interview with me and talked to us about Babbel, the language magazine. And as a linguistics professor, we also took the opportunity to ask him lots of questions about linguistics versus foreign language learning and what makes it similar or different. So I'm going to play that interview for you guys right now. And this is Dan McIntyre, Professor of Linguistics at the University of Huddersfield. I'm here with Professor Dan McIntyre. He's a professor at Huddersfield. And Dan, you've got a, a very special project going on. So we're just looking at it right now and we're both just um, awed and excited yeah. by it. it's really really good so this is called Babel. it's the language magazine it's a magazine about linguistics but not for linguists but for normal people that's right yeah we're never quite sure whether to call it Babel or babel actually i think we we go with babel but I, yeah oh we, we've been here for a couple of days now i'm starting to think we've got that wrong <laughs> but generally yeah the, the magazine is um it's aimed at a general audience um, and the idea behind it was that we wanted to produce something that you could go and buy if you were interested in linguistics but you weren't necessarily a, a specialist in that area. Yeah. So just like you can go and buy a, a magazine about history or a mag magazine about science, we thought there's nothing you can go and buy if you're really interested in languages. So that's where, where we came up with the idea. So it's a magazine which covers topics in languages and linguistics generally. Um, Most of the articles are written by academics, they're based on academic research, but they're intended to be really accessible for, for lay readers, really. And there's a children's version too? There is, yeah, that started more recently, that's called Lingo, um, and part of the idea behind that was to try and do something similar, really, to try and encourage an interest in, in linguistics in, in young kids, um, but also to try and get linguistics into schools. So we've been um, focusing on, on trying to get teachers and schools to subscribe to that as well. That's a newer, newer project. So. And, okay, so here's a, here's a question, right? What is the difference to you yeah. between languages yeah. and linguistics? Well, I, I would say that linguistics is a discipline. Linguistics is the academic discipline. Languages are, are the object of study for that discipline. Yeah. Um, and I think people often get confused when, when they look at going to university, do I study language or do, do I study linguistics? For, yeah. for me, they're inseparable. Languages are the thing that you study using the tools of linguistics. Yeah, absolutely. Because we are bloggers about languages and in our space, the word polyglot gets thrown uh -huh. around a lot and a lot of yeah. people kind of use that to describe themselves. And linguist kind of, also. And yeah. linguist, yeah. yeah. So it's really interesting to kind of, we talk a lot about the definition of what does it mean to be a polyglot yeah. and what does it mean to, to be, be a linguist. linguist. Yeah. yeah. And the, the question you always get asked when you oh. say you're a linguist, yes. how many languages do you speak? I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then if it's not 50,000, yeah. you're not very impressive. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So what can you study about a language that isn't the language? Well, I suppose um, you can study the underlying structure of languages, how, lang how languages work um, in grammatical terms, in pragmatic terms, in semantic terms. What does that mean, pragmatic and semantic? So pragmatics is about um, meaning in particular contexts. So, um, you know, if you walk into a room and you say it's hot in here, you could just be making a comment about the temperature, but you could be saying to somebody, can you open a window for me? And you can only interpret yeah. the meaning of that particular utterance if, you, if you're sort of in that context and you understand, you know, where the speaker is looking, what their intonation is, that sort of yeah. thing. So pragmatics is about uh, meaning beyond the level of the sentence, and I suppose. Right. When you're learning a foreign language, you have to know 
that as well. You can't just yeah, learn grammar because otherwise you're like a robot. That's yeah. right. Yeah, yeah, right. If you just did Duolingo, yeah, again, like Kirsten and Duolingo don't like each other. <laughs> but if you just did Duolingo, it wouldn't teach you that the the pragmatic effect of how you're yeah, using it. Yeah, I think becoming fluent is about learning the pragmatics of the language as much as learning the vocabulary and the grammar, isn't it? Oh, that's another question that always gets asked. What is fluent? fluent? How quickly can I get fluent? Etc. And it's not, you know, so I think certainly I try to promote the message always that it's not really about how quickly can you do this, but it's more about how can you, like if you're driving somewhere, how can you take the most enjoyable road instead of being there the fastest? Yeah, that's it. It's a really interesting comparison. About learning what's what's appropriate for a particular situation, what kind of language works yeah. in the pub and in the classroom, that, that, that kind of thing. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So, where on the internet can people find out about Lingo magazine? Uh, oh, Babel magazine, both. Babel, Babel, Babel. 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 If you go to www.babelzine.com. Um, you can find our contact details and subscription details on there and you can also read uh, a free uh, copy of the first issue of Babel. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks you very, very much. much. Thank okay. you. That was uh, Dan McIntyre from uh, University of Huddersfield. Some really, really interesting points and one I really wanted to pick up with you um, is what he added to um, this definition of fluency. We didn't really discuss so much mm-hmm. about being a polyglot and all that. Um, I really enjoyed him saying languages and linguistics are inseparable. So you can't yeah. study a language, um, just the technical aspects and, you know, like sort of, you know, drill the grammar into yourself and, and just become um, fluent in that sense, become very proficient. But you might you might come across very tone deaf or something like that. Um, so there's the real linguistics. I felt that... It's what adds three-dimensionality to the language. Ah, that's a nice way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. Sort of what he was saying about semantics and uh, what he was saying about pragmatics in particular um, is, is, is really important. So the way he said, you know, you need the appropriate language for the pub, you need the appropriate language for the workplace. In a foreign language, you need this too. Yeah. It's, yeah, and it's so true because that's what I find really hard is when people say, you know, I want to learn Spanish and I want to be fluent. It's like, okay, well, how are you going to use Spanish? Where are you going to use it? What, you know, are you going to be using it for business? Are you, do you want to, are you moving to Spain and you're going to want to talk to your neighbors in a completely casual situation that's totally different to a business environment? You know, it's, it's all of that stuff, which, but you know, before I take on a new student, I like to ask to get clear to say, right, where are we going with this? You know, what's the end goal? It's very important to do that, I think, and it's it's where one-to-one teaching kind of comes into its own because you can incorporate what people are hoping to achieve with the language. I know that many people aim to just pass a language exam, so they, they you know they they mm. don't need you don't need to teach them business Spanish, you don't need to teach them mm. um, specifics. You, you know, if if people do it for, for themselves as a challenge, that aspect of um, pragmatics and using the language. Um, that's that's probably what we struggle with the most, which is why we look for language exchanges and which is why we look for, you know, ways of bringing this language to life. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, yeah, mic drop there from uh, Dan McIntyre. <laughs> it's just, there, there was very little that, that I can really add beyond that definition of fluency is, you know, because usually what I say to people is, to me, fluency is when you 
can work your way through a conversation without stopping and starting all that much, without completely breaking down at any point. You know, it's not about knowing all the words. It's not about being able to have the, you know, the, the most sophisticated conversation. And it's not it's certainly not about impressing people. It is about muddling through. That's That, to me, is, is where fluency starts because it's about connecting the dots. But what he has added is also about finding the right register, I guess, and finding the right... Um, using language appropriately and knowing that knowing the effect of what you're saying will have and to be honest that's something that I often overlook right at the start like I have I have called many I've said hiya to many a Russian that I really should have said you know I should have really said hello yeah. good day and it can come across as disrespectful which kind of means yeah. by that definition I wasn't anywhere near approaching fluency and I could have known all the words but I wasn't just I wasn't talking to them in the right way absolutely I've told you about when I went to the polyglot gathering in Berlin and on the day before I needed to buy um an SD card adapter and I'm in this tech shop in Germany and I I was very proud of myself and I went up to the guy and I said um do you have this but for this you know like this this thing I was holding my hand but for this connection and I was holding up my phone or my ipad or whatever in the other hand Mm -hmm. um and he went yeah yeah and off, off he goes to get one and then I said as soon as he turned around I was like oh and I'd, I'd said do instead of see and I was like oh such a mess such yeah a mess. so it comes across I guess you, you still come across a bit amateurish and that's not that's not usually the intention when you're talking about fluency you're talking about a level of expertise that makes you look less than amateurish I guess exactly yeah yeah mm. and I would never say you know I'm fluent in German I'd never say that at this at this stage at this at this point now I would never say that but you know who knows in the future I might go on to learn more or to live in a German speaking country or whatever and mm-hmm. and I might then say yes now I am fluent but yeah now with with a language like German I can I can I can survive you heard me at the show speaking Spanish and I remember you saying oh my god Kirsten your yes. Spanish is really good um which yeah. to me is it's not Right, my Spanish isn't. It, yeah. I would never call myself fluent in Spanish. So, how far do you think yeah. I am from Spanish? <laughs> Spanish fluency. I would say your your Spanish is like how I speak German mm-hmm. or Italian or Portuguese. Not quite Dutch. My Dutch is like hoi, and that like now is kind that of. Was it. <laughs> Nowadays, yeah. Like I, I, I got to a point where I was okay, and I was probably at that same level of of. Um, like basic muddle through conversation with Dutch, but now it's no, it's not. Um, but yeah, like your, your Spanish, what impressed me, because, you know, you said, oh, yeah, I haven't spoken it for 10 years and stuff. But yeah, there you were, and you were using different tenses. And even, I don't think, off the top of my head, I can't think that you used English. I think it was very much. No, it's it's more like, como se dice this and that, yeah. Yeah, which is, that's, for me, that is that is like, I feel like there's different levels of fluency and there's kind of, you know, there's like the, the muddle through fluency, there's conversation fluency, there's kind of the, the deeper, more um, like life affirming topic conversation fluency, if you know what I mean. And then there's like um, near native fluency and then there's just pff, blow everything else out of the water fluency. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like there's kind of levels of, of that because you can be fluent. In, in terms of, you know, you can express yourself confidently and, 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 and quickly and fluidly 
mm-hmm. at different stages of that. Oh, and that's that's well, that's just my opinion on that. But so I feel like with your Spanish, you've got to that uh, kind of the 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 basic conversation level of fluency, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That's where you are, and and because because the reason for that is like you said, you say "Cómo se dice," and and then you you know you use your hands, you describe something, and that's something as well. Like I will always say to my students, don't get to a word that you don't know and see it as a brick wall that you can't cross that's completely impenetrable you know see it as a brick wall that actually you can climb and you can go around it and you can find a little hole to sneak underneath it you know and use use gesture and use you know the word like una cosa a thing you know to say ah no sé la palabra en español bueno es una cosa and then describe Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. thing and and that is that is for me that's a level that's like one of the first levels of being fluent is that you know because it is you you're, you keep talking and you keep expressing yourself in that language does yes. that make sense yeah. yeah i really love the idea of putting on your cv say you know where we normally put maybe uh, elementary uh, italian uh, intermediate spanish mm. blah 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 how funny would it be to put something like um expertise holiday so like, fluent yeah yeah holiday <laughs> holiday fluent in italian model free fluent in spanish <laughs> <laughs> decent conversation fluent in french <laughs> and then and then like what i've got in, in in english which is sort of um pretty much like a brit fluent <laughs> sort of it's native but i'm not native level english for every english in the world i'm only native level sort of english for a uh, native level sort of english for like you know north northwest exactly. england and i don't really understand but you know what do, do you know what? Neither am I. Like, I'll still, like, watch an American TV show or, or read an Australian book or something and be like, what is that word? What? You know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I'm a native English speaker. So. Yeah, we, we can't win, can we? But, yeah. Exactly. You're right. Okay. Um, seeing as we have talked for um, at length about the language show about education and our education system and that wonderful primary languages um, inspirational kind of changes that have been made I think it's time to move on to tips of the week don't you? Absolutely Okay well I've prepped some for you and the first tip Brilliant. actually the first tip I took came comes out of Lingo magazine which is one of those two magazines that have just been mentioned by um in in our interview Lingo magazine being the one for younger readers um and that doesn't mean four year olds it certainly doesn't talk down to people it talks about the larynx and how sounds are formed and it talks about um prescriptive versus descriptive linguistics and so it's it's got some meat to it and one thing that this did was it in various different sort of, it's got these little languages of the world um, pages. And there's a bit where you have to draw a trilingual vocab chart. And this is a great practice for your vocab divergence. And I thought as a language learner, especially a polyglot, as aspira- aspiring aspirant uh, polyglot who wants to learn several languages, um, this is a really great way of learning a new language. So you're drawing a trilingual vocab chart. So for example, for me as a Welsh learner, instead of just, because I know that Welsh has got some words that have got French relevance, instead of drawing my vocab chart as English, Welsh, English, Welsh, English, Welsh, I might do English, Welsh, French, English, Welsh, French, um, and then draw the relations from that. So you're effectively learning several languages at the time, trilingual vocab charts. That's tip number one. Tip number two, 
prepare a presentation for your tutor or your buddy. So instead of just uh, using your language partner as a, perhaps a language exchange partner and having a chat and sort of, oh, what have you been up to this week? Oh, how interesting. Where do you live? Where do you work? Um, think about preparing perhaps a three-slide, four-slide slideshow, doing a little bit of research beforehand and really giving them a little bit of a show, talking 10 minutes in a row about your job, about a specific country, etc. Um, I did this when I was learning Spanish. Um, I had to prepare a full-on presentation, half an hour about Paraguay. And I never learned that much about any South American country any other ever. It's just, it was fascinating. I loved it. So preparing a presentation, it's a classic classroom learning technique. And we, we haven't really brought it into language, into solo learning yet. Um, and number three, use the Swift Key Keyboard app, which is an app that you can download on Google Play or on the other one, iPhones, iOS, App Store, App Store it's called. Um, so you can use it on your iPhone or your Android phone. And SwiftKey is an app where you, instead of typing every letter on the keyboard, you swipe and it supports two languages at the same time. And I think on Android, it even supports three languages at the same time. So I'm using this at the moment for texting. And if I want to text somebody in German, I don't have to switch the keyboard to German anymore because it recognizes the words. Those are my three tips. Number one, trilingual workup charts. Number two, presentations. And number three, SwiftKey. Okay. I love the first tip. Um, in fact, I remember, I would say probably about two years ago now, um, and I was working, uh, I was teaching English to groups of adults in a bread factory. <laughs> and a lot of them were Eastern European, and there was a lot of Polish and um, Hungarian and Latvian, Lithuanian spoken. And so I was like, oh, this is actually really interesting. And I'd love to kind of compare this and so I kind of did that with those languages so I wrote down this chart of all I, I think what I did was I googled like 100 most common words in any language or whatever and I kind of got this list and I was it was a big word table that I had it's probably still on my old computer and I found that really really useful so I would definitely recommend that but I've done it so I don't know I don't know um the third the third tip about the keyboards I love that but I think I have too many languages on my keyboard to to link and also I like using emojis so the mm. idea of changing the keyboard for me would still happen yeah <laughs> um, I do get frustrated because it doesn't support French and Welsh at the same time as German and English uh, so it's there's no polyglot keyboard yet yeah <laughs> but I, I quite like that I love actually with with keyboards I don't know um what it's like on Android but I use iOS and I can like speak I'm sure it's the same I so I tap the microphone button a lot of the time um especially um, with um, Chinese. Like I've been, I've been spending a lot of time lately on Hello Talk in tandem um, and kind of Chinese, like a, a Chinese keyboard for me, it's just like, not a clue, not a clue. But I know how to say stuff so I can press the microphone and I can record. So that's kind of how I use keyboards. So for me, that one, I've kind of got my own method that works with that right now. Um, so I would have to say that the second tip and now that I've said that, I've forgotten what it was. I just remember thinking that was the one. It was preparing a presentation for your tutor or buddy. That was it. Preparing a presentation. Okay, right. So the reason I've picked this is because I've just started this week, as in yesterday, um, the Add One Challenge. And it's my first Add One Challenge. And the, I've been um, assigned like a mastermind group. So there's three of us in this group. And we're all learning different languages. Um, but we're all 
learning at the same time. We're all in it together, essentially. So the idea of us being in this group is that we can support each other and we can, um, you know, share any resources that we might find for each other's language and things like this. So that would be a really fun idea, perhaps, to kind of put forward to my, my, my little mastermind group and say, hey, guys, do you want to prepare a presentation about an aspect of the language you're studying that you find difficult? I mean, for me, at the minute with Japanese, particles are kind of... I, at first, I really got them, and now it's like, so when do I use ga instead of wa? You know, mm-hmm. so so uh, so that would be something really useful for me. And as great. as a teacher, like I found that that's a really nice way. I love kind of turning it around to to students and say, right, okay, we've talked about it. Now explain it to me as if I don't have a clue. And I find that that works really well. So that would be my my chosen one. Tip of the week. My chosen one. All right, Lord of the Rings, calm down. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually Buffy as well. I've been trying to talk uh, Lindsay into learning, into watching Buffy. You could learn. You could watch Buffy <laughs> in Spanish, and then then it would be study I have time. To find it. Yeah. Oh my god! It's, it, it, it for me, it's the best TV show ever made. Um, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> but I love how you've ad- you've actually added something to the tip there because presentations. That's correct. I I sort of had in mind a cultural presentation or about a specific topic. So you know, Christmas in Germany yeah. or something like that. Um, oh. But actually, you're right to prepare a presentation about an aspect of a language that you find difficult or just an aspect of a language that is a little bit complex. Um, yeah really really will help you understand it better as you try and explain it to other people so there's two ways that you can actually use this tip and and also i'll be explaining it to people who don't necessarily learn or speak japanese as well so you know that kind of having to really bring it down and say rather than just go okay so what or ga we use what for this and use ga for this i'd have to take it right back and say right japanese has particles what's a particle and for me that's really useful to really cover everything I I don't know I like that (laughs) Mm. I agree I agree I think that's an excellent an excellent way of going about it and I'm thinking like German uh relative pronouns they're one of them things you know like when you say and guess guess where my example for this comes from I, I teach using Buffy um so it's we're saying this is this is the vampire that Buffy is chasing, or this is the vampire that is chasing Buffy, which in English is the that doesn't change, but because the person who's doing the chasing has just changed, or the person being chased, your that actually expresses a different case or a different you know perspective mm. um, of who's mm. doing who's doing the chasing. So in German, the case of that 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 the case of that that. Um, it changes because that is a, is a pronoun so it represents um, either the chasee or the chaser um, and going with that you've got to understand that whole concept and then you have to know how to change the word but I, I have yet to find a way of teaching this intuitively without going this is what you've got to think about who's doing the chasing who's doing the being uh-huh. chased um, and once you yeah. you know you've got to you've got to get your head around how that sentence is constructed and in English, as so many times, the grammar of English is, in, is a bit more invisible than in German. So mm. I, might, I might make one of my students explain that back to me. I think that would be amazing. Yeah, I think definitely that's a good idea. Mm. Yeah. Mm, it's coming to you. It's coming to you, people. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I think we've reached the uh, successful end to the episode 26 of Creative Language Learning Podcast. Lindsay, 
What's new? Where do you want people to find you on the internet? Oh, uh, what's new? Did you say? Is there something new? No. There is something new, yeah. Hmm? So I've on, on Friday, this is Tuesday, on Friday I released my very first online course, um, which is very exciting. Yeah, um, and that's, in, that's for English learners, for upper intermediate to advanced English learners, because I feel that there comes a point, and I know that I've felt this myself when I've learned languages, and also students that I've taught have um, experienced this same, not problem, but this same uh, stage, if you like, where you get to a point of, okay, I can speak really well, I can communicate really well, but how can I improve? Because I know that I can, but how? What is it? What's going to help me? And so one thing that I felt was a, a, um, a big thing that could help people in this, area, in, the, in this area when people get to this level is phrasal verbs. So I've made this course. It's called Mastering English Phrasal Verbs Through Story. So there's 44 short stories or phone call dialogues as well um, that are based upon one verb that uses a lot of phrasal verbs. Mm -hmm. And also there's others in there that kind of fall into the mix as well. So in, in total, you've got over 500 phrasal verbs in this course presented in video, audio, um, kind of ebook format as well. You've got some reading, you've got some quizzes. There's a Facebook group where I'm encouraging people to share their stories and to share what they've created themselves as well. So there's so much here and I'm so, so excited. So yeah, mm. and that is available now. Um, if you head to learn.lindsaydoeslanguages.com. Learn.lindsaydoeslanguages.com. Yeah, and that's, that's where it is. So yeah, I hope to see you on the inside. Oh, fantastic. Oh, congratulations on releasing your first online course. Thank you. Oh, it's, yeah. it's good fun doing it. And I, I love the approach. Um, I may oh, I'd have to I have to think about that. I have to think about how I can apply that to uh, German teaching at one point in the future as well. Love it, yeah. love it. So learn.lindsaydoeslanguages.com. And guys, as always, you can find me at fluentlanguage.co.uk. And we're on Twitter. Lindsay is LD Languages. And I am Kirsten Hammers. That's K-E-R-S-T-I-N-H-A-M-M-E-S. Even though I say I'm called Cable at the start of the show, I will sort all this out at some point in the future. And today we were sponsored by Other Cats to Whip, the book of French idioms, which you can find at othercatstowhip.com. Using the code FLUENT, F-L-U-E-N-T, will get you a 10% discount, no matter if you're buying a paperback or an ebook edition. And that's it from us for episode 26. Bye, guys. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Creative Language Learning Podcast, guys. Don't forget to subscribe and to rate the podcast in iTunes or on Stitcher. That's always very much appreciated. If you have any feedback or you've got any questions, you can email me, Kirsten, K-E-R-S-T-I-N, at fluentlanguage.co.uk, or you can find me on Facebook, Fluent Language Tuition, or on Twitter, at Kirsten Hammers, that is K-E-R-S-T-I-N-H-A-M-M-E-S. -M -M -E